0: Let me go ahead and pray, and then we will stand. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this this hour that we have to study your word, this psalm that was written to remind us to be thankful, this word, this psalm to remind us to come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts, to be joyful for what you have done, to what you will do, to what you are doing. Father, We give this hour to you that it would bless you. Father, we thank you again for what you have done in our own lives, in the lives of this body, and what you are doing in the world today. Although we would look at it and see the world turn dark, but Father, we are reminded that we are lights of Christ. We are ambassadors to Christ And so, Father, I pray that we would take encouragement. We would live out that mission wholeheartedly, that we would be encouraged to stand fast. We would be immovable because we have joy in what Christ has done for us. And we would want to share that joy with the world. And so, Father, again, we give this hour to you. May it encourage us. And, Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so please stand with me as we read the word of God together. Again, Psalm 100, a psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. You may be seated. Now, as we get into our text this morning, we need to first look at that superscript that I just read, a psalm of for or a psalm for thanksgiving. Right from the start, we are reminded to be thankful. Are you here this morning with thanksgiving in your heart? Or are you here out of a sense of duty? Are you here out of a sense of routine? But are you here with a heart full of thanks for what Christ has done for you? That is a question that you have to wrestle with. Are you here because the Lord himself is God? There is no one like him. He is also the creator of all persons. This is what the psalm tells us. He is the creator of all. There has never been a self-created person. There never will be. Even all the angelic creatures, the angels of all the different orders are created. They're created by God. This psalm is a a call to, to all the earth to come and worship. Not just the believers, the called out ones. It is a call to all the earth to come before God, to come and worship. The anointed one, the Christ is coming. It is a call to all the earth to come before him and worship. This is a welcoming psalm, a joyful psalm. There is no regret within the text here. There are no words of sadness in this psalm, in these five verses. It is a psalm to come and praise the Lord for who he is. All the peoples of all the earth should come and sing praises to God and the master of all among all that we can list off in our prayers to be thankful for, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, the family and friends that we have, the jobs that we hold, the educations that we pursue. But there is something very common within those prayers. They're very self-centered. Although we should and we need to be very thankful for what we have in this state of existence on this earth but we must not stop there we must move our prayers beyond those childlike prayers we must move beyond the milk to the solid food we ought to be praising God for who he is in our prayers and stay there for a considerable time praise the one who has done everything for you He has done everything for your salvation. He loves you to the uttermost. Even when we are unlovable. When you were lost, unregenerate, unrepentant. One who was filled with evil intent. Continually rebellious of the ways of God. You once were an enemy to the one true God. But because of Jesus Christ and that great transaction of receiving the righteousness of Christ. Now, this psalm is a reminder of of singing and rejoicing. It is a beckoning one into the glorious courts of worship to the throne of the Lamb to come joyfully and with thanksgiving and praise. For there is no reason not to come. It is a psalm full of joy, a psalm full of praise, a psalm full of thanksgiving. And that brings us to our first point. Bring the right spirit. Shout joyfully to the Lord, it says, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Now, this opening clause here is identical to Psalm 98, verse 4. That opening clause there in verse 4, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Now, verse 4 finishes like this, Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Now, that word shout in our text in verse 1, this word shout is just what it means to verbally make a noise unto the Lord. Shout. And we're not just looking for just an audible shout that that we would make in a a battle cry, but that's kind of the sense is to make a a battle cry, that that guttural noise, not to to reserve anything, not to hold back, but to to shout loudly with a jubilant shouting, to raise a battle cry, but not in fear, not not a scared shout but a shout in triumph. This is a a better way to understand that that picture that we're trying to get here in verse 1. It's a triumphant shout, a joyful, triumphant shout, much like the people would have done when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of an unbroken colt of a donkey. They were shouting joyfully as they wholeheartedly believed that he was coming to take the physical throne there are many times that we, that we shout, and, and most of those times, it's not a joyful shout, especially you parents. We are reminded here throughout the Psalms to make a joyful noise. And some of us were making a joyful noise this morning as we were singing. I enjoy making a joyful noise, especially amongst the congregation. My singing is not the most pretty But it's unto the Lord, I hope. Many of you feel the same way. I enjoy, one reason why I sit up front is I get to hear the singing of the congregation. It is a joyful noise. Many of you, your noise is prettier than my noise. But it is a joyful noise unto the Lord. We are blessed because we sing to the Lord. But we are reminded by the Psalms to make a joyful noise or to to shout joyfully to the Lord. But we fail to do this more than we succeed. Do we ever consider that when we fail to make that joyful noise to the Lord that we are sinning? We're outside the will of God. We're outside the command of Scripture. We are to make that joyful noise not just when, when our favorite sports team scores that touchdown or, or when they win the big game. Many of us, that's what we do if we're watching sports. We, we yeah we're excited. I tell you, get excited for the Lord. Make that joyful noise because of what God has done. Praise his name. Don't just make a joyful noise because you get a promotion at work. Your child has graduated high school. You get into that college that you're wanting to. But we are to shout joyfully to the Lord. As I mentioned, we were singing earlier. But I pray you're not just making that joyful noise here on a Sunday morning. Make that joyful noise any day, in all circumstances, any time and every time that you encounter the Lord, whether that's a, a Tuesday afternoon or a Friday evening, whatever it is, every day, every moment, in every circumstance. When we try for that promotion, whether, whether we get it or not, shout joyfully to the Lord. When we are involved in high school circumstances and situations, I know many of us are well past high school, good or bad, shout joyfully to the the Lord. When our relationships are in good places or not in good places, shout joyfully to the Lord. One thing that requires a joyful shout is a true, humble spirit. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord for what he has done and what he will do and the fact that he is returning. Now this brings us to the word joyful. To be joyful about something, you first must know what and and who that something is. Husband and wives, Does your spouse bring you joy? This is because you know them. And I pray that you know them better than other people. Parents. Does your children bring you joy? That is because you know them. Sure, there are times when it is not a shout of joy or or a heart full of joy that you have, but, but of something else. But we But when we consider the attributes of God. I know right now you're probably listing off, and I hope you're listing off some of those attributes of God. But when you consider the attributes of God, there should be a great amount of joy that so fills us that we cannot help but be shouting about the goodness of God. The word joyful has the meaning of of giving a public confession of the attributes and the works of God. How good is God to you? How good has he been? What has he done? What brings you joy? We should be declaring and sharing the attributes of who our God is publicly, not hiding, not shrinking back when we're in public. If we do that, then we confess that it's not joy that God gives us, but shame. We should be declaring and sharing the attributes of God publicly, whether that is a stranger in McDonald's, to a classmate, to a co-worker, or an unbelieving spouse. Ultimately, this joyful that we that we have should should be uh, um, ultimately this joy that that we have should be in the form of, of who our God is. It should model God. Because God is joy. His righteousness, has, he has given us our, his righteousness, his goodness, his sovereignty, his immutability, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace, his providence. And for his promises that he has fulfilled in scripture and the promises that he will fill, fulfill in the future. When you shout joyfully to the Lord, you are confessing his goodness to those around you. But this joyful, this joy is not merely when you are shouting. It's not here when, when you are amongst those, those brothers and sisters. It is the condition of your walk. It is when you are alone at home. It is when you are at work amongst unbelievers. Are you walking joyfully with the Lord day in and day out, minute by minute, moment by moment? Even when you're in the midst of trials that test you, are you are you filled with joy that God is with you? That he is still sovereign in those situations, that he is still faithful to you. That he is still showering you with mercy and grace so that you can endure such trials. Whatever you are dealing with, God is right there. God is still faithful. God is still good. God is still sovereign. God is still immutable. He has not pulled back from you when you are in the depth of despair. That is why even in those times, you can be joyful. Shout joyfully to the Lord because of who he is. He is God. It will be difficult at times, but you are commanded by Scripture to be joyful and share the goodness of God, no matter the circumstances you find yourself in. Just because you are having a bad day, a bad month, a bad time in your life, does not give you the excuse to say, God, I can't be joyful. God has deemed in his infinite wisdom to place you in that certain situation to say, my glory shall shine through you. That is God's wisdom. That is God's plan. That is God working through his children. That brings us to point B, a serving spirit. A serving spirit. As we, as we step into verse 2, we are told to serve the Lord with gladness. Now, to serve means to be in bondage to one another, or to, to another. Now, we kind of hit on this a little bit uh, earlier in, in the, the first service. Uh, uh, another way to understand this meaning is to, to labor for another to be tilled like the land is tilled, to be worked over, to labor through and through. This is the the type of service that is to be brought to the Lord. Do you want to be tilled over and over for God? Is this what your service looks like? It's one thing to desire it. It's another If it actually is. That means all service that you offer up to the Lord through through worship and holy living. I know it is difficult, but when you come here to worship, is your heart and mind focused on worship? Or do other things creep into your heart and mind as you are here? And as you're living, trying to live that holy life, it's a struggle. But what sins creep in and stay in? Serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Be tilled over and over for the Lord. Now we need to look a little deeper deeper. Than, than just the outward service to the Lord. We must also examine the hard attitude, as I was just alluding to. Are you also doing this with gladness? Are you, are you doing this with gladness? Is this instance, that, that word gladness, is not so much joy as it is fear, a godly fear. but a, But again, that does not mean a trembling fear, but more of a Fear inspired by an understanding of who God is, and, and the, the greater the fear that we have, it turns into a greater joy. How, how might one come and worship with such fear? It requires worship in truth and spirit a true repentant heart, a contrite heart, a heart that knows that it is desperately sick and wicked without God and that there is no hope without his saving grace and regenerating spirit. Remember, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. There are not, These are not just words that we say to one another. This should be a badge of honor that, that we wear proudly. I am not my own master. God has bought me with his blood. I am his, and he is mine. We have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. We have not been released from the bondage of sin so that we might do our own thing and go our own way. But we have been bought. We have been redeemed so that we might become the children of God. We have been brought back into the house of God to worship and to serve all time. To serve with fear, to serve with that awe, that sense of awe of who God is. With an understanding that God is infinite. To to just wrap our minds around that understanding that God is infinite, not only in existence, but in understanding and power and presence. That He is infinite, that He is magnificent and and is and will be beyond full comprehension we will never come to the end of our understanding of who god is that should boggle our mind that should that should just fill our our spirit with joy our hearts with should be bursting with desire with fire to explore him all the more now that word with gladness is an interesting word. It carries the, the meaning of being wide eyed with a big grin. When was the last time you were wide eyed with a big grin? Probably the last time I had a my the last time Francesca was born, I was wide eyed with a big grin. And Kathy's probably clenching up right now. Oh no, not another story. But wide-eyed with a big... I mean, that's just overflowing with gladness. When was the last time you were overflowing with gladness? Wide-eyed and a big grin. It brings to mind the unvarnished joy of a child. Many of us with children, you, you give a, a, a gift, big box, Bunch of wrapping on it and a big bow, and, and I tell you that the the child will go nuts, right? Big eyes, big grin. I mean, the, from ear to ear, right? That's usually that's generally our our expression of this. Their their grin is from ear to ear, wide-eyed and big grin. When something happens. That, that they like, this child that they like, it affects the whole body. They can't contain themselves. They're shaking, the, the, the grin is huge, the mouth flies open, the eyes get wide, the face lights up, the heart lifts and the soul rejoices, right? Such should be the delight of us old sinners that have been redeemed long ago when we serve the Lord. We should be wide-eyed with big grins. Because of who our God is. And we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. This brings us to point C. A singing spirit. When we come to a psalm like this. It should remind us what we bring to the Lord. A singing spirit. And we can come and sing with voices. And I have heard some of your voices, and they are angelic. But don't just sing with the voices. And some of you say, I, can't, I can sing like a frog. But don't just sing with a frog voice. It doesn't matter what your voice sounds like. Sing with a spirit. God doesn't care what your voice sounds like. He wants your spirit to sing. I sing with a frog voice. But my spirit sings. Sing with your spirit. St. Augustine says this. How freely was I made to weep by these hymns and spiritual songs. Transported by the voice of the congregation sweetly singing. The melody of their voices filled my ear. And divine truth was poured into my heart. Then burned the flame of sacred devotion in my soul. And gushing tears flowed from my eyes as well they might there is no good reason that we can give to god for an attitude of sadness and gloom when we are called to joyful thanksgiving when you you find yourself in despair and surrounded by problems of all kinds of concerns and trials and anxieties there will always be something to give thanks to god for and to do so with great joy Give thanks for your salvation from eternal death and destruction and the deliverance from his wrath to come. These first two verses tell us that when God is in your life, you will not be able to keep silent. You will not be able to keep him secret for long. You cannot contain the joy that wells up inside of you because of God with the grace, mercy, and the righteousness that he has granted you. Sometimes that joy will run out of your eyes. Sometimes that joy will show up in your raised hands. Sometimes that joy will run up in your throat and over your vocal cords and make you shout. The fact is, you will not be able to hide your joy. And this brings us to our second main point. Bring the right submission. Bring the right submission. This is, this is verse 3. Let me remind you what verse 3 is. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now we'll break this down into several different different portions. So the the first one here, point A, submit to the person of God. Submit to the person of God. We are told to know To know that the Lord is God. And many of us would agree, I know the Lord. I know who he is. And this word means to discern. To discern. To learn by experience or to make a distinction. We are to know that he and he alone is God. There is no one like him. There is no one above him. He is God. He alone is God. Now we can know that the Lord is God in our our heads, but that is not what we are speaking about here this morning, as this is not what God is calling us to do. There are and even have been throughout history men who can know intellectually Scripture. We talked about again that we talked about this this morning. They can know Scripture. They can teach Scripture but they do not know God. Even Satan can know Scripture, but he does not know the truth of God. But we are called to something far greater. This is where Romans 1.21 warning comes in. For even, they, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We must have the personal knowledge, that deep-spirited, heart-transformative relationship with our God to truly know Him. God has revealed Himself to all through uh, His creation. That is His general revelation. All know that there is a God through creation. They only deny it in their unrighteousness. But He has revealed Himself specifically... That is his nature, his character, his goodness, his person through his word. And we can commune with him in prayer. We can go to him in prayer. This is how we have that personal knowledge of him. We can learn of him through his word. We can commune with him through prayer. God has stated that he abhors sin. We know this through his word. Which means that God hates it. God sees it as disgusting. As something to not be around. And to not be associated with. And to not be involved with. Is that how you view sin? As any and all sin. Not just what we might determine as sinful. Do you agree with what God has called sin? Do you agree with that? Or do you say, well, I don't view that quite as sinful, so I can can do that a little bit. Or do you agree that God says all of that is sin? Do not do any of that. Do you agree with what God calls sin as sin? If we say we know him, we know God, yet we continue to live in willing Habitual sin, then we are a liar, just as 1 John 1 6 puts it for us. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we know the person of God, we will have fellowship with Him and we will abhor the darkness that is sin. We are to submit to Him, just as Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 27 demonstrates. Now, this is, in a greater context, this is how the church is to submit to Christ. But this also breaks down how how wives are supposed to submit to husbands. Wives are to behave towards their husbands. Verse 22, wives, be subject to your own husbands as as to the uh, behavior towards their husbands. Excuse me, let me start that again. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to the... I'll get it. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This is how, again, we as the body of Christ are to submit to his lordship, him being the master over every aspect of our soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our God is a triune God, three persons in one, equal in glory, power, and character. But there is a beauty to that submission that is displayed amongst the Godhead. There, there truly is. If you, if you actually look at the Godhead and, and, and what the, the triune God looks like and how they, they act out the order of salvation and how they behave in the calling, the sealing, of, of the elect. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ submits to the Father. So in understanding this, wives, you are to submit to, the, to your husbands as the church submits to Christ. But husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ did sacrificial love. That's what Christ did. Sacrificial love that desires to see her grow spiritually and emotionally for the condition of where these are, that is a reflection of your headship. We must recognize that we are not the master. Again, I, I made allusion to this earlier. We are not the master of our own destiny. We are not the master of our own ship. We have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. Our sin debt has been paid. We need to get used to that terminology. We are a slave. I know our NASB Bibles like to use the term bond servant. When you read it, understand that that actually means slave. We are a slave. We are a slave. We are bound to the lamb who died for us, who died in our place. We do not control our own destinies. As I said, we are not the master. We are the slave. We are to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, to borrow an Awana phrase but an after. We are to know not just a head knowledge, but a wisdom of who our God is in his person, in his nature, in his character. We are to know him and how he acts in the lives of his people, how he acts in the past through scripture, how he acted through church history, raising up godly men to fight for the precious bride of Christ. We are to have a wisdom, that knowledge, and then the experience of seeing and being involved with how God is working currently in the lives of believers around you. It could be that he is working through you to change a heart, to encourage a brother or a sister in Christ, to exhort and even rebuke. Do you know who your God is today? Do you know God at all? And I am not speaking of names and dates and, and biblical events, although we must know those. But what I, I am asking you today is, do you know him? An easy test for you. What do you spend most of your time on? Things of this world or things of God? What do you spend most of your thoughts on? Things of this world or things of God? How you answer these questions reflects on your submission to his person or ult- and ultimately his lordship or your submission to another god, the god of self or another idol. This brings us to point B, submit to the purpose of God. Submit to the purpose of God. We are reminded that, that we are what we are because He has made us. This word simply means to take some material and fashion something new out of it. Some of us remember what we were like prior to salvation. Many of us who do remember what we were like would rather forget what we were like, that old life. But fear not, because that we are now saved... God the Father does not hold that against us. I remind you that all those sins and that wayward life has been dealt with. The penalty that we had accrued for ourselves has been dealt with. It was put on Jesus Christ. The wrath of God was laid upon Jesus. Now many of us will ask the question, why did God save me? Now I'll tell you to look to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 10 But by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain but I labored even more than all of them yet not I but the grace of God with me By the grace of God we are made into what God wants us We may not be the wisest so that it is the wisdom That shines forth. We are not the strongest. Or tallest. Or the best looking. We are the base things of the earth. So that is his glory that shines forth. You see it is by his grace. We have been saved. And all for his glory. You see it is by. His doing. And for his glory. That we are saved. It is for his purpose that we are redeemed. Not just so that we do not end up in hell. It is not just that we would get some benefit that we would be redeemed. He did not redeem us so that we could have our best life now. He redeemed us so that we would share the gospel and He would get the glory. He redeemed us so that Christ would be magnified. We are redeemed so that we would serve Him. That also means worship. It brings us to point C submit to the promise of God. Submit to the promise of God. We are the sheep of His pasture. This statement simply reminds us that we belong to Him. And just as a shepherd looks after the welfare of his flock, our Lord looks after us with infinite care. David understood this in his own life when he wrote Psalm 23. Now, many of us will say that we understand this psalm because it's a very familiar psalm. Some of us might even say that Psalm 23 is our favorite psalm. But just look at the first verse of Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And if we ever get that one verse fully understood, we will be light years ahead of where we are today. The Lord is my shepherd. And if we just stop there for a moment. The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd means he is master over me. He rules over me. He says, I do. He goes, I follow. I don't go my way. He calls, I come. He goes there, I follow. It's not he walks that way, I go that way. That's not what the shepherd does. He is the leader, I am the follower. He is right, and if I stray, I am wrong. We get this wrong so many times. And I shall not want. He being the shepherd. Does not mean that he is the ruler with an iron fist. And that as a dull minded sheep that he will beat us when we are wrong. That's not what this means. On the contrary, he will meet every need that we have. And when we go astray. which we do, he will go in search of us to bring us back. He will go in search. He will leave the 99 to go find the one lost to bring back into the fold. Yet we still have a problem with grasping and applying this into our lives, do we not? We pray about a need and then we will go and promptly try and solve for that need. Where is the trust? We must be reminded to stay faithful to the promises of God because of the flesh that we still embody. The flesh does not like to trust in God. When has a promise of God failed? Go and search all the scriptures and tell me when God has failed to fulfill a promise. We must submit to the promises of God. Matthew chapter 6 verses 26 through 29. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, they not worth, or are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. The shepherd, your shepherd, Jesus Christ will care for each of his sheep far more abundantly than what we can even comprehend when we are in submission to him and his promises. We must trust in the Lord. We must trust in his promises. Be faithful to those promises that he has filled and that he will fill. And this brings us to our third and final point. Bring the right sacrifice. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Now, in the tabernacle in temple days, the priest had better not enter the presence of the Lord without the right sacrifice. To do so meant death. Now, thank God we do not live under the sacrificial law, but under grace found in Jesus Christ. There was one final blood sacrifice given by Christ that secured our salvation. Yet there is still a sacrifice that the people of God need to bring. It is not money although we should bring that as an offering. It is not attendance, although we should make every effort to gather when the church gathers, whether that's a Sunday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, whatever that day is, we should make every effort possible to be there. There is just one sacrifice the Lord expects every saint to bring to a church gathering when they come, and it is revealed in these last two verses of our psalm. We are told to bring the sacrifice of praise. Here are a few quick thoughts of verse 4. And I have this undertitle Praise God for His Glorious Presence. Praise God for His Glorious Presence. So the first thought is, this is an invitation to come before God and into His Glorious Presence. God is telling us, come, come before me. I am here, come before me. We are being invited by the creator himself to come before him as his chosen people. Not everybody, not every single soul is allowed to come before God as a worshiper. Everyone will be before God at some point, either as a follower, as a worshiper, or as one to be judged. But in this instance, this is one being welcomed to come as a worshiper of God. Observation two, God's house. says here, the courts. Enter into his courts is a place of continual praises unto him. The angels continually sing to God. Our worship is to have a sacrifice of praise offered up to our God who sits upon the throne who has redeemed us. So that's why I've been alluding to whether you are gathered here on a Sunday or a Wednesday, a Thursday, a Friday, a Tuesday, whatever day, whatever situation, wherever you are, offer up praise to God. Remember what he has done in your life, whatever he is doing in a in a friend's life, a brother's life, a sister's life, whatever it is, offer up that praise to God. We are told to enter observation three. We are told to enter into his gates Now, this is interesting. How do we see this? Now, if you think from a military standpoint, gates are are a defensive work and are usually closed to all outsiders. However, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are no longer the enemies of God. We are no longer outsiders. We are now the sons of God. The children of God, the gates which were once closed to us are opened wide, and we are now beckoned into the presence of God as we we bring to Him the sacrifice of praise for our salvation. Again, they're opened, and God says, Come. Come before me in worship. Observation 4. We are invited to enter into his courts with praise. Note that we are not just allowed access to the outer limits of the sanctuary. We don't have to wait at the doorway. But we can come to the innermost. We can come to the throne. The throne room of God. We are invited to walk into the throne room. We, Where we can meet him in all his glory. It's not like we can see him from afar. We can walk up close to the very God who descended to earth, who died upon a cross for you. Observation five. No wonder the psalmist exhorts us to be thankful and to bless his name. We are counseled to bring the right sacrifice when we enter. We are told to bring that sacrifice of praise what else could we could we praise god for than the very blood of christ he saved our soul from eternal destruction now the scope and intent of this verse verse 4 are of the same of verse 1 and 2 it contains a renewed and earnest call to joyful grateful public worship we are to pay Homage and, and devotion unto the, the Almighty God. We are to be thankful unto Him. And verse 5, as we as we begin to wrap this up, verse 5 gives us three reasons for praising His name. And we have this praise God for His goodness. Praise God for His goodness. If you find yourself struggling to come up with something to thank God for, if you just you can't get your your prayer life jump started. Or you sit down to start praying and what should I start praying for? God, what should I be thankful for? Again, what is the greatest gift he has ever given you? What is that one thing that you should have wide-eyed and a big grin for? That is your salvation. That is your salvation. You will not be thrown into the lake of fire. All because of Jesus Christ. What joy that you have been one of the chosen. You have been one of the called. One of the adopted that has been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. This is one way that that he has uh, demonstrated his goodness to us. And then you should be able to go from there. Of course, we we say this all the time, but but take a survey through Scripture, and you will see His goodness to His people throughout all recorded history. Mark, chapter ten, verse eighteen, and Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." Even even though. Uh, We are not good and deserve nothing. He has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has given us a grand station in the realm of eternity. We will see Jesus Christ face to face. We will sing with the angels. We will put on uh, immortality to be able to enjoy God forever. He in his goodness and wisdom saw fit to redeem a people for himself, by himself, and to himself, all because he is good and right and full of glory and wisdom. He could have let us all pass into damnation, but because he is good, he redeemed a few. We are not good in and of ourselves. Many of the unrepentant people of the earth do good deeds like donate money, but is that out of the goodness of their hearts or out of a great need for the feeling of celebrity and charity? Out of a need to be praised by other fallen creatures for their good deeds? But press many of these charitable givers to define what is good and you'll get just as many different definitions. 1 John 4.10, in this is love Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us even when we were so unlovable. He loves us to such a point that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. To take on flesh, to live a life full of struggle and sorrow, and to die a death that is so terrible that physically it is even hard to imagine. But Jesus suffered not just under the excruciating physical pain. He was under the weight and penalty of the wrath of God. And that is impossible to fully understand That the torment what the torment would have been like. We talk about the crucifixion. The physical crucifixion of Christ. And what that enduring pain would have been like. But it is the wrath of God that he endured in our place. The bearing of the wrath was infinitely far worse than the physical suffering that he endured on that very cross. The goodness of God was that Christ stood in our stead. God is good because of his faithfulness to us. God is good because of his kindness to us. God is good because of his gentleness to us. God is good because of filling the blood. These are all reasons why we should praise God, praise him for his goodness to you. Whatever situation, whatever station in life you find yourself, God is faithful to you. God is there for you. God is providing his provision to you. Praise God for his grace, point C. Now, our text says loving kindness, but let me remind you that the Greek word for loving kindness is a pregnant word. There are so many other English words that this can be translated into. It can be translated into kindness, goodness, faithfulness, affection, and grace. For this, I chose to focus on his grace. Without this grace, we are lost and hopeless, condemned to the road of destruction. We speak of of the grace of God so often that sometimes we lose the wonder of it. Some of us have been living in the grace of God so long. It, is, it has been some time since we've, we had our, our road to, uh, road to Damascus, uh, uh, Damascus experience. Whatever that experience looked like for you, but it has been some time. God showered us with that wonderful, splendid, magnific- magnificent grace that we, we take it for granted sometimes or, or at least lose that, that awe of, of that grace but we are are but we are to still remember that grace and what it has done for us how great of a salvation we have because of that grace and praise him the same for it just as if we were saved today if we were saved 20 years ago that awe oh, that that overwhelming sense of of need for salvation, that overwhelming sense of, of just who you are in desperate need of a Savior, 20 years ago when you were saved. You should still have that sense of need of grace and gratitude for the salvation that you had then. You should still have that today. Don't lose that sense of, of appreciation for the grace of God. The grace of God is something so special and unique. It is the unmerited favor from God, from the most imperfect being in all the universe. He created all things that are seen and even the things that we have not laid eyes on yet. He has done such wonders for us that it is hard to fathom. He chose to bless us. It is not us earning it. You cannot barter with God. You cannot make a deal with God. You cannot purchase a favor from God, nothing. It is all God. It is Him showing His benevolence to the undeserving. We do not deserve anything from God except damnation. And we will do well to worship Him in response to that grace. We should be eager to come before God uh, at every opportunity to praise Him and to offer up sacrifices of praise in our in our worship because of the grace that that he has blessed us with. But it is also his grace that, su- uh, that sustains us in our earthly life. It is by his grace that empowers us to walk in those good works that he has laid out for us to do. When we encounter various trials and circumstances that test us. It is by grace that we are lights for Christ in the darkness. It is by grace that we can go beyond the four walls of a local church gathering place and enter any home, any school, any place of work, any government institution, any situation, and declare the glories of God. It is by this grace and for this grace that we should praise God in our worship. It is by grace we have been saved, and it is for grace that we declare the glory of God. Of God, And this brings us to point D. I'm almost done. Point D. Praise God for his guarantee. Praise God for his guarantee. God is faithful to all his people in all generations. Again, go through scripture and try and find a, a Bible passage where God abandons his chosen people. God did not abandon the sons of Jacob. Even after generations of bondage and oppression, God did not abandon the nation of Israel in the desert. Even after they sinned against him, grumbled and complained against him, and doubted his word after seeing the signs and wonders performed through Moses in Egypt, he preserved them, provided for their needs as they wandered through the desert for decades. After generations of being in the promised land, the people strayed doing the abominable deeds of other nations. And then those same nations oppressed them. And then God raised up judges to lead them out of oppression. This would go on and on, a vicious cycle of being oppressed. God would raise up a judge to deliver them. And then when they were freed, they would sin again in oppression. On and on and on. Until a king was anointed. And raised up. By the time King Solomon assumed the throne, Israel seemed secured, but that was short lived. As the nation was split in two, and many of the the other kings that came, uh, they would stray from righteousness and follow their own wisdom. They abandoned the true God and the true faith. And then they were led into exile. But God was still faithful, the exile only lasted so long. And they were delivered from it. But while they were in exile, God still established many of them into positions of power and positions of influence into whatever government was in power at the time, during the exile. God protected them while in exile. Through it all, God was still glorified while in exile. God did this so that he would be revealed until the nation was restored and until such a time that was predetermined before the foundation of the world that a savior would be delivered and given to us, a one who would take away the sins of his people who trusted in him and believed in him. Now, I I call all these events to our minds because God has never failed his people, whether that is the nation of Israel or the church. We, in our limited perspective, our, our time-constrained minds, may see it that God has abandoned us or forsaken us, especially in that moment of desperate time of need or despair. But what but what does Jesus remind us before his ascension back to the to the glorious throne? He says, I will never no, never forsake you. He will always be with us. You can trust him, and we can look to his revealed word and the history of the promises that he gave and that the fulfillment of those promises. Praise God that we have him to rely on and not a government that changes as time passes. We can rely on the promises that he will bring to full completion all the works that he started, and those works will be very good. What a great thing to praise his name for. Now, as we close, I want want us to reflect upon the theme of this psalm, that it is a psalm of thanksgiving. Are you giving thanks to God? Uh, What are you giving thanks to God should be the first question. But also, what should come to mind is why are you giving thanks? And what are you giving thanks for? Those two questions should come up next. So why are you giving thanks to God? And then specifically, what are the whys? And then the what. What are you giving thanks to God for specifically should be next? Take some time this week to make a list of those things. What's and the whys. I say make a list of 100 things. And you say, oh, my goodness, that's a lot. But once you start, 100 won't be enough. And that's that's true. You'll quickly run out of room on a sheet of paper. You'll need about four or five. Now, one of those reasons to be thankful for should be the promises that God has given and then fulfilled that we discussed earlier, earlier, all the way back in Genesis three. When Adam sinned, a savior was already promised a means of redemption and restitution of the relationship between God and man. This is not something that is subjective. And if you read certain passages just right, or if you have a certain bend in your theology before you look at those passages, it is plainly laid out for us so that we might understand and see the truth of the promise and see and believe God is faithful. He promised all the way back when sin happened, I will redeem you. I will send a Savior. I will do this. God is worthy of all praise and glory because of the promises laid out. But the promise of salvation and faith once and for all delivered to all the saints, even when we do not deserve it. So, for that that great and glorious prophecy that was fulfilled, come and worship full of joy. Bring an offering of sacrifice into the gates of the Lord and into his very presence, because the God of all might, of all wisdom, and of all grace, truth, and love has invited you to enter into his gates and into his courts to praise him and enjoy his holiness and glory forever. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for this psalm, this reminder to be thankful, to praise you for all things that you have done, to be reminded of the promises that you have done, that you are doing, and that you will fulfill. Father, we thank you again what, uh, for For the very precious blood of Jesus, the greatest gift that you have done. That is our redemption. And, Father, again, we thank you for this time to consider your word. Father, we pray, pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we are dismissed. Thank you.